chats, believe it or not. I'm Lisa Stearns, Vice Chancellor for Marketing and Communications for the Institute, and I'm here with Senior Vice President Tim Cross. Uh, we're very pleased today to welcome UT Knoxville Chancellor Dondi Plowman. And Morning, uh, good afternoon, whatever it is so far. <laughs> good morning, and I know you'll be sharing some uh, valuable information with us about uh, plans for the Knoxville campus. Um, we're also asking everyone to please stick with us to the end because we do have a new video to show you um, that features our UTIA family talking about how we've dealt with this uh, coronavirus pandemic. As reminders, please uh, keep your audio muted so that everyone can hear the conversation. Um, you can use the chat function to post any questions you might have for Dr. Cross or Dr. Plowman. Um, and also you can send those to me privately if you don't want your name associated with that, that function is working. And as a reminder too, a recording of this session will be made available on our coronavirus website. And um, you can find that at utia.tennessee.edu. So Tim, um, before we start um, talking about issues that are related to the coronavirus, I know you'd like to share some information about leadership changes uh, that will be made as of June 1st. Yeah, I thought we ought to start there. And good morning, everyone. Thanks for joining us again. Uh, and uh, I want to say a special thanks for Donnie to carving time out to, to join us this morning as well. Before we uh, jump in and, and revisit uh, coronavirus and, and all the things that have been happening there, I thought it would be really helpful to, to spend just a minute talking about uh, the change. If you've been seeing uh, uh, email this morning, you've noted that, that Dr. Burns has uh, indicated a desire to, to step down uh, from his responsibilities as dean and uh, that we've got a couple of uh, interim appointments uh, lined up uh, for that. I'd like to give Robert just uh, a moment to share in his own words uh, uh, what, what that change is all about and, and let you hear from him personally about why, uh, why he would like to make this change. So Dr. Burns, I'm gonna turn it over to you for just a minute. Mike Stanley may have to unmute you. Okay, thanks Mike. I think you've got me unmuted. Can everybody, you hear Dr. Cross? Very good. All right, thank you so much. Well, I think as many of you have likely seen on the email that earlier today I shared that I'll be stepping down as extension dean effective June the 1st. As some of you may be aware, my wife and I began caring for my mother and my father in our home about a year ago. And um, after my mother's passing last year, we made a very conscious decision to continue to personally care for my father. And um, we know that it was the right decision. We have no, no second thoughts about that at all. But over the past few months, my father's illness has continued to progress, and it's become clear that his care going forward will require greater assistance on my part than my responsibilities as a dean would allow me to provide. And um, after a lot of reflection and prayer, I have recognized that there are many people um, who can serve as dean and many who are willing to do so, but um, I'm the only one who can fill the role of a son to my father at this time in his life. So. Um, there's a season for everything. I've served in a university administration for the last decade. Um, it's the right decision for me to move into a stronger service role to my family at this time. I want to personally thank Dr. Cross for the opportunity to serve as assistant dean, associate dean, and dean over the, the past 10 years. 
Um, you know, I, I started my career as an ag engineer and had no notion that I would administer anything. So I, I appreciate the opportunity to serve that I've been given. Um, on June the 1st, I will return to my faculty role in biosystems engineering and soil science department. Um, until June the 1st, I'll continue to work hard as extension dean and work as a member of the UTI leadership team as we work together on turn to our, our normal operations for extension across the state. And I'd just like to um, share my sincere thanks with each of you for the support and friendship that you have shown to me over the years. It means more to me than I can ever express in words. And so Dr. Cross, thank you for allowing me to make this announcement as part of your fireside chat this morning. I, I know you have a busy agenda. Thanks, Dr. Burns. And, and uh, you know, Robert and I have worked together since 1994, and we're going to continue to work together. And he's got my full support, uh, trust, and confidence uh, throughout the, uh, the next month uh, as we start to transition uh, his responsibilities. Any of you that, that have responsibilities caring for a parent uh, have some notion of, of the challenges and the, the stress uh, associated with that, uh, want to support Dr. Burns uh, in this change, certainly, uh, but also recognize he has uh, accomplished many, many good things for the Institute for UT Extension. Uh, thank him for that. Uh, his decade of service as an administrator uh, has been invaluable, and uh, we really want to work with him uh, every way possible uh, as we make this transition. Uh, and so let me, uh, you know, we could spend a good long while talking about this, but let me just indicate uh, in the interest of time, we have thought this through. This wasn't something that occurred overnight, obviously. Uh, we've already asked uh, Dr. Scott Sensiman uh, to uh, consider serving as interim extension dean, and he's agreed to do that. Likewise, we've uh, been in conversation with Dr. Gary Bates, who has agreed to serve as uh, interim department head for plant sciences. So I think we've got a great plan in place. We've got some great leaders lined up uh, to make sure that this is a smooth transition, to make sure it's one that isn't disruptive uh, to our faculty, our staff, our stakeholders, our students, uh, and one that enables uh, not only Dr. Burns to really carry out his personal uh, commitments and responsibilities, but one that also enables our organization to continue to advance. So I know you'll join me in supporting all of those uh, leaders as we move forward. All right, so that's uh, this morning's announcements, Lisa. Very good, and thank you. Um, so getting to coronavirus, uh, which has consumed so much of our lives, um, the state is giving us guidance on re-entering our workplace. Um, what are some of the key points that you understand from, from those guidelines? Let me just summarize very quickly and then we'll move uh, you know, into other topics. But if you've read uh, Governor Lee's Executive Order 30, basically it says this is a plan to return to work safely, uh, but it's a, it emphasizes a gradual reopening, uh, phasing in of, of returning to workplaces. It emphasizes continuing uh, to follow CDC guidance for sanitation, use of face masks, social distancing, no groups of more than 10. So in, in many ways, it's, it's not a lot different than what we've been doing. It emphasizes everyone who can work remotely should continue to work remotely. And again, that's just as we have been. So not a lot of differences there. It also emphasizes protecting high risk uh, uh, populations, those who are most vulnerable, anyone uh, uh, more senior in years and with uh, particularly with underlying health conditions need to be protected. 
And it finally indicates that our six metro areas really should, should come up with their, uh, their own guidance uh, for re-entry to the workplace. Uh, so that includes places like Memphis, Nashville, and Knoxville. But uh, for the rest of our 89 counties, they're to follow, uh, by and large, the state guidance. So that's, that's what the executive order says in a nutshell. And one particular point I'll emphasize is that uh, Governor Lee has indicate, indicated that the state's employees will not be returning to work until the end of May, uh, May 28th, uh, unless they're prevented from carrying out their responsibilities uh, in, in person at their workplace. So largely the state's posture uh, is, is not going to change significantly over the next four weeks. Well, UT Knoxville um, has also released a very comprehensive plan on re-entering the workplace uh, for Knoxville-based faculty and staff. Can uh, you and Dr. Plowman obviously share some details with us? I'll, I'll set the stage and then turn it over to you, uh, Dondi. Uh, let me just say I've been a part of the, the cabinet and the policy group that, that's uh, developed these recommendations, but I get no credit for any of it. Great group of people and they've done a great job. If uh, those of you on campus have seen the detailed plans uh, released uh, that, that will guide us here on campus, I think you'll agree with me. They're very thoughtful, they're very comprehensive, uh, and they answer a lot of specific questions, I think, about what are we doing, when are we gonna do it, and how are we gonna do it? I won't go through every bit of that. Thankfully, we have uh, the person that's gonna oversee all of that with us this morning. Uh, it's been a pleasure to work with Chancellor Dondi Plowman uh, over the, the past year almost, and, and in particular, these last several weeks, uh, we've spent a lot more time together than probably Dondi would, would care to remember. But uh, <laughs> that's not true. Uh, it, it, uh, it's great to have you with us today, Dondi. And I didn't know if you want, might want to just touch on some of the highlights sure. of campus plans. Thank you, Tim, Lisa. Thank you for inviting me to be part of this. I, and, and Robert, I want to say to you also, thank you for your leadership. I'm looking at him like I'm, I'm looking, he's looking at me. Robert, thank you for your leadership. And, you know, your dad is lucky to have you as a son. And those moments you have with him right now are truly special and, and good for you for recognizing those. And, and we just applaud you. So thank you. Um, I want to remind you all how we have been making decisions up to this point. I, I, I tell people that my predecessor, Jimmy Cheek, had the foresight to put in, to hire an, an emergency operations manager, which is Brian Gard. And so while we were not prepared for the pandemic, we did have a, a structure for making decisions that we were somewhat prepared with. And that emergency operations center has consisted of over almost 50 people who've been meeting daily since the end of uh, really January, uh, not daily, but probably in, starting in early February, meeting almost daily. And now we're still meeting. It's made up of six teams of people. They're organized around logistics, planning, communication, different topics, representing the whole campus. There have been uh, lots of UTIA folks. Rob, uh, Tim and his colleagues have been representing the policy group as we've made every single decision, trying to make sure we move thoughtfully. So, we, we found ourselves now at the point where the governor has said some businesses can start to come back. What does that mean for us? People began to ask us what's happening at the university. So we rolled out the plan yesterday. We want to be thoughtful about returning to campus. Uh, and so we have laid out this phased process. 
And I, I want to reiterate and, and ask for everyone's help and partnership in the fact that there's no script for how to do this. There's no guide. We are making it up as we go based on the best information we have. Uh, and so we want to be careful. And we also, at the beginning of this, we said we had three, three principles. One was we want to help people stay healthy and hopeful. And, and the healthy part of it, we know that's the, the healthcare professionals are guiding us. The hopeful part is also important. This has been a, 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 turned everyone's world upside down, students, faculty, staff, and we gotta help each other stay hopeful and stay with each other and, and use this as a time to build people up and not tear people down. And I think we've done a terrific job of that. Uh, the second principle was to help students stay on track towards graduation. And we've done that at great expense to faculty who've had to change what they were doing uh, at, at great expense to students who had to change what they were doing. And so I think we've done that. The third principle was let's act with, let's be creative, let's be compassionate, and let's be flexible. And I just can't applaud everyone enough, faculty, staff, and students across the board. I've heard no complaints from anyone about what we had to just overnight do. And it's miraculous. And I'm just so proud of everyone. Now that we're thinking about the question, what does it mean to come back to campus? We're going to do it in a gradual process. So phase one starts on May 11th. We have, uh, you saw the list of kind of units that have limited staff on campus. A lot of them, primarily police, uh, utilities, uh, facilities, workers, getting the campus clean and ready. We've got the issue of getting students things still moved out of the dorms so that we can deep clean all that space and be ready uh, for the return of students to a new normal, we hope, in fall. You know we've got this uh, reimagining task force, which I uh, established. It's got 71 people on it, and, and they are doing great work at trying to look at three different scenarios. What if we come back physically, face-to-face, -face, but we know that's going to have to be adapted to probably some in the classroom, some virtual, some face-to-face, -face. how do we organize classrooms where people are six feet apart? So there's good active work going on. What, what, do we, what would happen if we had to all of a sudden go online again, mid-semester in the fall? And finally, what if we had to do everything online? We are really planning for and looking towards people coming back, but it will be different. And honestly, it's probably gonna be different for us until we get this vaccine. And so we're just going to all have to figure out a new normal. So coming back this summer gradually, if you can't work effectively at home, you should tell your supervisor you want to come back to work. But if you can, we want you to continue to work from home. And it's going to be people working it out with their supervisors. So that's the part that's, we just got to be flexible and try to make it work. I'll just stop right there, Tim. Great. Thank you very much, Dondi. And, and I think you can hang on with us a little while. And if there's some specific questions, uh, you sure. know, I'm going to throw all the hard ones your way. Just, just. Be <laughs> okay. Yes. A great reminder that if you would like to ask questions, be sure to um, post them in our chat function. Um, so obviously uh, UTIA is a statewide organization. So what about plans for uh, College of Veterinary Medicine, which is obviously needs to run a little differently from, from some other um, parts of our organization and our other off-campus um, locations. 
Yeah, so it, we're, here's uh, sort of our approach. Uh, and, and it was relatively easy to say to everyone, we're all going home. That part was, was real easy and straightforward. But the reentry process is much more nuanced. Uh, and and yeah. as Donnie said, it's going to be much more sort of site specific, if you will. So our College of Veterinary Medicine uh, is really working hard to develop new plans uh, that would phase in uh, more of their services and more of their students over time. Dr. Thompson, uh, uh, Dr. DeNovo, uh, Dr. Souza, and their, their whole group are, are working on those and communicating, I think, regularly with faculty and staff about those. So they'll, they'll follow a baseline set of procedures consistent with the rest of our campus, but obviously due to their work environment and due to their uh, educational requirements and so forth, they'll have some different uh, procedures that they follow as well. So College of Veterinary Medicine faculty, staff, and students will get their guidance, uh, you know, from Dr. Thompson and his team uh, with regard to how they phase up uh, their, their operations. Uh, likewise, uh, for our UT Extension off-campus offices, uh, that's really going to have to be uh, determined uh, through uh, our Extension Administrative Team. Our task force uh, that, that's been working on behalf of the Institute has provided some recommendations uh, after yesterday's meeting uh, to Dr. Burns and, and his leadership team. And so we're looking to uh, identify uh, some specific recommendations and guidance for our extension off-campus offices and hopefully make those available later today. And they'll, they'll emphasize many of the same things that you've just heard discussed. Uh, we're, we're not announcing all hands back on deck. That is not the approach. Again, it's going to be phased. It's going to recognize that different counties may be in a slightly different situation. Some counties, the county mayor may have proclaimed we're open for business, you know, effective today. Other counties may, may not be in that posture yet. So we've got to be really cognizant of, of our local environment there. That makes it a real challenge, but uh, we're a flexible group. So we'll, we'll work with, uh, with our county offices to serve local needs, but also first and foremost, protect our, the health and safety of our uh, employees uh, and those we serve as well. And the same story for ag research, our off-campus offices uh, will uh, be getting some additional guidance from Dr. Hongwei Shin and his team, uh, including uh, Dr. Barry Sims and Dr. Uh, Dave White. Dave White has been integral to the uh, development of our research plans uh, on campus, uh, campus-wide, uh, working with the Emergency Operations Center and working with uh, the Office of Research uh, uh, on campus. So Dave's been, been integral to that and will scale up uh, research following the overall campus guidance, following then uh, again our off-campus uh, guidance that, that Dr. Sheehan uh, and his team will provide and we hope to have those recommendations which came through our, our UTI task force uh, later today as well. So I know many of you are probably thinking, golly, why, why don't we have all this already in place? Uh, as Donnie said, this is a shifting dynamic environment. Uh, we really wanted to, to make sure we were in alignment with the whole campus, with what we did. So we, we held off uh, to finalize anything, making sure uh, that we were in, in alignment with the overall Knoxville area plan. And then we'll share the more detailed guidance just as soon as possible. And, and uh, if all goes well, you'll get a message later today that will direct you to some of those things. So uh, for our off-campus folks, you'll, you'll get that guidance. And finally, you know, if you're in a position where you read that guidance and you say, I just don't know what I'm supposed to do, 
talk to your supervisor. And, and that's where we've got to start. Uh, this has to be dealt with on an individual basis. If, if you're not comfortable with, uh, with what you're hearing or supervisors, if you're not sure what guidance to provide, talk to your regional supervisor or your next, uh, next in line, if you will, or talk to uh, Doug Bonner or one of our HR team members. Uh, let's, let's make sure and emphasize, we gotta stay in touch on this. We gotta communicate. If you're not sure or you're uncertain or you're not feeling uh, safe or healthy uh, with regard to what you think is expected, reach out and talk. Don't, don't just assume you've got to do something that is totally counter to what you believe is, is in your best interest or the best interest of those you serve. So I hope that that helps a little bit. So with that, wrap up our, our sort of uh, remark session, Lisa, and, and if we've got some questions, let's move on to those. Um, well, we did have one question submitted. We had our group's kind of quiet today. <laughs> Um, and that the question is, when people return to buildings on the Ag campus, and I would assume this would uh, include um, the Knoxville campus as well, can employees be sure that offices and restrooms have been cleaned according to CDC guidelines? I can take that one. Uh, yeah. One of the reasons it's so important that people use that exception process, let us know where you are. If you're wanting to, that's exactly the reason. So if you are someone who feels like you can't do your work at home and you need to come back, you and your supervisor need to put that request in. And, and mainly that's, that's one of the big reasons. So we know where people are and we can make sure cleaning's happening. Tim, anything you'd add to that? Oh, that's exactly right. So again, for those on campus, you saw the, the announcement that, that basically says, we expect you to continue to work at home, but if you have to come back to campus, there's a process that you can request an exception. And that's the very reason why is that we, first of all, know what building you're in and, and uh, who you are, and then uh, we, can, we can take care of facilities properly uh, based on that information. And that can be done as a group. It doesn't have to be person by person. Again, you can work with your uh, center director, your department head, whoever your supervisor is uh, to address those things. Uh, and, and make sure we get uh, everybody accounted for uh, that does have a need to be on campus uh, uh, periodically or even regularly. Um, so somebody wanted a uh, follow-up um, on a few of the comments, and that was if state employees don't go back until the end of May, wouldn't we follow that, those same guidelines? But I think you were saying that that is essentially what we will be doing. Yeah, that, that is essentially what we'll be doing. Again, I think the governor's guidance is if you can't do your job uh, from, from home, now's the time to come back. But if you can do your job from home, do it from home. So I, I know that's not a black and white answer. It's not a, you know, this is what employee A should do or shouldn't do. It, it really depends on, on individual circumstances. Uh, and it, it, it depends upon how, how productive and successful you've been in, in carrying out your responsibilities. Gandhi, anything you'd add to that? No, I think that's right. He's encouraging a, a, a careful and cautious approach back too. So I think that, I was just looking for the exact wording, but I think it was, uh, you know, not before May 28th. And if you can continue to work at home productively, effectively, you should do so. So we feel like we're following essentially uh, the spirit of what he's trying to do as well. Now our goal, I will say this, we put out there at the end, August, why did we pick August 10th as the day where we 
we want to be full blown back operating. Uh, I don't want to say like we were before because it's not going to be like we were before. We still want, and into next year, we want people who are vulnerable to stay home and, peep, and work at home. And we want people who are caring for those who are vulnerable to be able to have a lot of flexibility with their supervisors. But um, we, August 10th is when Knox County Schools go back in session. And we know that people have childcare issues. So just trying to be sympathetic, let's get our work done, but also be atten attentive to the fact that summer camps have gotten ca canceled. There's no school. We got to help people get back to work in a way that's reasonable. And a follow-up on extension employees. Um, the question is, are extension employees considered with, within the state guidance as well? Um, should they expect that the May 26th would be a soft date for return unless the governor changes his order? Let's see, I'll have to take a stab at that. I'm not sure I'm gonna get it right as, as it was asked. Uh, we're, I think uh, we'll indicate that we'll move from one phase to the next with a minimum of 14 days in between phases and make sure that we're not seeing uh, increases at a local level in the number of active cases. And so that means it could be very different in one county versus another. And in one county, you know, after a couple of weeks, after 14 days, we may see no active cases at all. That may, you know, provide a signal that, that we should uh, consider at least uh, phasing up additional services. We may see in another county that active cases have, have increased and therefore we can't progress to the next phase. And in fact, it's possible we may have to back up a phase if, if uh, we see spikes in cases. So uh, I'm, I'm not sure I'm trying to rethink what that question was. And, and I think the question was, is this going to happen for sure every 14 days? And the answer is no. And it may well be 28 days before we make a change. We'll just have to monitor uh, data and, and, and see as we go along. Um, so here's Let me make sure, Robert, anything you want to add to that? No, I think that was all spot on, Dr. Cross. As we know, Extension has 102 different office locations across the state, and we're going to work closely with county government to um, do what's right for our folks and to, to keep good relationships there. And we'll do it as you've indicated. The plan that the task force has developed, I think it's it's excellent. Um, and and using a data-driven approach to, to doing what's best to keep our, our employees and our clients safe. Great. Um, here's a question about vacation. And uh, this person asks, we are about to enter a common time when staff takes vacation. At one point in, in time, if staff were going out of state and had to self quarantine for 14 days before work before working from home will that still be something supervisors need to continue to implement yeah i think that's something again we still need to be careful about that uh if if uh, you're planning a vacation in new york city i think uh that's <laughs> that's a scenario where we might say when you return we we'd really encourage you to spend a couple weeks at home uh even if it's on your personal time in terms of the vacation so for right now, remember our travel restrictions are still in place through July 31. And I think for personal travel, it's a, again, a conversation with your supervisor. If 
you've gotten in the car and driven to Lexington, Kentucky, and come back again, I, and you don't believe you've been in contact with, with any positive cases, I'm not sure it's critical to have a two-week isolation period. But again, if, if you've been on an airplane and if you've routed through Atlanta or uh, Seattle or whatever, that's, that's probably a different conversation. So uh, it's really difficult to give a hard and fast answer there. But uh, let's be on the safe side if we are going to take a stance on that. And if we're still working remotely to the extent possible, uh, you know, staying home for two weeks following leave shouldn't be a problem anyway. Dondi, any have you had that? No, I think you handled that exactly correctly. Thank you. So this person asks, if a case of COVID-19 is confirmed on campus, how will that information be disseminated? You know, that's a great question. I don't know. I don't have the answer to that yet. Uh, that's part of, so, so what we've done up to this point, we announced the first case, if you remember. And then we made the, but we were very careful not to reveal the person's identity or, you know, uh, risk their, the confidential nature of that. So we didn't say where the person worked. Um, we then decided when we knew we'd be having more cases, we have not announced them all. We, uh, and I couldn't even tell you right now how many we've had. It hasn't been that many. Uh, we, I know this summer we had two students who were isolated for symptoms, tested, but didn't have it. Two students that are in our dorms. Um, but that's a great question. That's part of these procedures we're gonna have to get figured out for fall as people come back is how will we notify people and we will be doing um you know tracing and hopefully the testing will be the turnaround will be much quicker uh so that we can and, and we'll have to participate in the tracing early on the health department was doing that our local county health department was doing that so that's to be more on that to come and that goes good back question though goes back again to having a good record of who's on campus, where are That's they, right. and then us knowing who to contact if there is a, a report of a positive case. And That's right. you know, I know everybody gets wound up, gosh, I need to know if anyone has had a positive case, but if we know who's in what building uh, and, and the fact that they're reporting to work, we will reach out and directly contact yeah. those who may have been in direct contact yeah. with any positive case. So. Uh, we'll, we'll do our part to make sure uh, everyone that needs to know does know. So here's a question on um, return to work, and that is that countries uh, in Europe and, and just certainly worldwide are finding that coming back to, to a new normal uh, really is based on testing and that that is really truly a key to safe return so many companies are really looking into this idea of testing um, employees before they do return to work if should that be in the guidelines and if it isn't why is it not so we had this discussion this morning in the policy group about testing um, and particularly in return to fall as we think about all the students coming back, all of our employees being back at work. And we definitely, so we are looking right now at options for how we, I mean, we can test right now if the health, the health center has a procedure for people who need it, but we need to scale that up. So we're working on that. 
for fall. The, 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 the interesting thing about the testing is if we think of just students. So for example, we were talking this, this morning about uh, the task, the subcommittee and the task force that's looking at student spaces, dorms and whatever. So if we said to students that are moving back into the dorms, you need to have been tested before you return, which we, we and show us the test, we could do that, we might. But that doesn't mean that three or four days later, they won't have run, run into something. So how do we do frequent testing? Uh, those are all things that we're trying to look at. We're, and talking about protocols, like we're asking employees to take their, if they come back to campus, to take their temperature every day and report if it's up and not come. So we've got to think of those same protocols for students and testing is important. Um, and we know right now that antibody testing is not that reliable. So the testing for the virus is super important. Also, we're talking about encouraging people to get the flu shot uh, so that to minimize flu with the symptoms of which are very similar in some cases to the symptoms of the COVID. So we would not be having to isolate as many people thinking they might have the symptoms when it was the flu. So those are all things in, that's why this work of this task force and the EOC is, we're gonna be busy all summer. Thanks for the question. So we have a lot of questions. So I think what we'll do is we'll wrap up with one more and uh, we'll get back um, directly to some of the other uh, folks who have asked questions. But uh, this question is, um, and Dondi, probably most appropriate for you, but is there a date by which we can expect to hear a plan for fall semester classes? Yeah, we're feeling the pressure to, to be clear on what we're intending to do. I can tell you we're all saying we're, intend we're making plans to be back for fall. We haven't made a public announcement about that. The chancellors are meeting today with Randy. I'm gonna, I'm gonna drop in on the task force on Monday. So uh, I, we're, we're, we're feeling the pressure. Parents are saying, I'm not gonna pay, I'm not gonna confirm and pay the deposit until I know, are you gonna be back? So just stay tuned on that. I think probably sooner than I had imagined, but uh, stay tuned. Very good. Well, thank you both for fielding many of these questions. Um, Tim, did you have any final thoughts you wanted to share? Well, you know, I always do, but uh, let me also ask if, if Donnie has any final thoughts she'd like to share. Thank you for asking me here today. Thank you for doing this. This is great. This is a great thing to do. And I appreciate everyone. I, I, I'm, Tim and I have had fun. We, had, we were having fun before COVID. We've even had some kind of fun during it, but we got a lot of great things we want to do. And uh, we, we got to get past this and get back to some of that good work we were doing. Thank you. Good. Well, thanks again for joining us today, Dondi. I thought uh, I'd like to sort of wrap up today with a quote I saw in a farm, uh, Tennessee Farm Bureau News uh, magazine. It was an interview or an article actually written by our state uh, 4-H Congress governor. Uh, this is a young lady uh, named Kathy uh, Carly Cochran from Hickman County. And I thought she had some really good uh, thoughts in her article that she submitted, and it was about her experiences uh, as a 4-H leader uh, as a part of this COVID-19 uh, experience as well. She said, uh, out of any bad situation comes life lessons, and that is happening in the lives of 4-Hers across the state. The coronavirus is teaching patience, persistence, thoughtfulness, and maybe most importantly, resilience. 
resilient members of the 4-H program will return with new skills and a new appreciation for their clubs, their communities, their country, and their world. And, you know, I thought if, if we all had that attitude, and I believe we do, uh, we'll be thoughtful, we'll be resilient, we'll come back from this, and, and we'll have a new appreciation for things. Uh, so I, I appreciate Carly Cochran sharing those words and hope uh, they have a little bit of meaning for you as well. We're getting through this thanks to your hard work, your dedication. Uh, we're making progress all the time. Uh, so thank you for uh, what you continue to do. And let me just uh, thank also our marketing and communications group for once again working with our faculty and staff and putting together a little message to wrap up our session here today. So I'm going to sign off and say thanks for what you do. We'll turn it over to uh, Mike Stanley. Mike, if you'd queue up our video, and I wish everyone the best for a great weekend. Thanks. Consider this time a pause. It calls for patience, understanding, and unity. Our lives have been disrupted. But here's something that will never change. Our pledge, our calling, our mission. Every day, even in the middle of a global pandemic, the UT Institute of Agriculture is dedicated to providing real-life solutions. The way we go about our jobs may be different for now. But we're still hard at work. You can count on us for the information you need to get through this. UT Ag Research is still conducting studies to help our producers grow our food and fiber. The Herbert College of Agriculture is still training tomorrow's leaders who will help feed the world. UT Extension is still helping our farmers, our families, and our young people. The UT College of Veterinary Medicine is still working to improve the health of our animal friends. We will always be a team and a family. Soon, we'll be back. Life will be better. We'll never again take anything for granted. So for now, instead of spreading this disease, we choose to spread hope. Beautiful. Great. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Great. Have a great weekend.